know the phrase, what goes up must come down. But when it comes to the price of, well, pretty much everything, that's not always the case. Over the past three years, we've seen price hikes across a range of daily expenses from energy and groceries to interest rates. Ireland is the second most expensive country in the EU when it comes to alcoholic beverages and the most expensive place to buy tobacco. Why are energy bills so high when wholesale prices are coming down? Is there any explanation for it? There really isn't. Utterly offensive, not acceptable, complete and utter laggards. That's how a government minister has described Irish banks for not passing on interest rate increases to savers. According to Pricewatch editor Conor Pope, it's not likely we'll see prices coming back down, even to 2020 levels. We're not going to see again is the era of low food prices that we saw from 2010 to 2020. I wish I knew what the good old days were when I was in them, because we didn't realise that we were living through this era of cheap food. Supermarkets have been making small reductions on some items, and energy bills just might come down a little too in the next few months, but it's still not enough. So what can people do to help themselves in the meantime, and how will the government use the upcoming budget to ease the pressure on consumers? I'm Bernice Harrison, and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, why does everything cost so much, and what can be done about it? Connor, we're going to talk to you about the three main areas that consumers are experiencing price rises. That's energy, the grocery bills, food, and then interest rates, money. Money's starting to cost a lot more. Okay, can you give us an idea how energy prices have increased? Well, the short answer to the question, Bernice, is they've doubled. And that's a very easy number for people to remember because they've gone up by more than 100% over the last 18 months. And that would mean that many Irish households are spending close to €4,000, if not in excess of €4,000, on their electricity and gas bills compared to a price of close to €2,000 maybe in 2020. Now, that's a, that's a, a sum of money that's after tax, which means that many Irish households will have to earn four grand just to cover the cost of their higher energy bills. And I think what's really depressing for people is that uh, it seems to be going on and on and on. And there is, you know, there has been no movement from the energy companies in, in, in recent months. Now, to be fair to the government, the government did step up to the plate on four different occasions over the last year or so. And they introduced energy credits worth €800. Euros. That did take the sting out of the, uh, out of the price hikes for an awful lot of people. Uh, but I think those people are now very concerned about what's going to happen uh, over the course of the winter of 2023 and into 2024. But that intervention by the government, that pretty much took the heat off, no pun intended, the energy companies, because they were not then put under direct pressure to do anything about the prices. Well, there was a couple of ways to approach this, because one of the things that one of the models that was followed in the UK was, for instance, the, the British government introduced, introduced a price cap and they said energy companies cannot pay, I cannot charge their consumers anything more than X. And then the government would step in and pay anything above X that the cost of that energy was, uh, or the price of that energy was costing the, the, the companies. The government didn't want to do that because they were afraid they'd be giving the energy companies a blank cheque to charge whatever they wanted and then the government would pay the price. So they took a different approach. It could be argued as to which approach is the, is the right one. But I think what is undeniable is that Irish people are paying a lot for their energy and they're paying a lot more than our cousins and counterparts in the EU. And I think that's something that has raised a lot of questions in recent weeks. Now, we have an energy regulator, don't we? Yeah. Who does the energy regulator act for? Is it the consumer or is it the, the energy companies? Well, uh, 
the, the consumer is the answer to the question. But I mean, the, the other answer to the question is the energy regulator, the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities acts on behalf of the state. Now, it's very important to stress that they have absolutely no role in pricing. And I'd say they're sick to the back teeth of having to talk about prices because it's nothing to do with them. They don't set prices. They just oversee the industry. And a couple of months back, they were before the, uh, an Oireachtas hearing. And they said, we are tired of coming on radio programmes or talking to journalists in newspapers and, and, and talking about prices because it's not our remit. Um, the companies, on the other hand, aren't very quick to come forward and talk about their prices. All they will say is, yeah, we keep prices under constant review. Yeah, we, we're hedging our, 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 our purchases so that we won't, you know, the, the, the prices that you're being charged now or the prices we paid a year ago or whatever it might be. Um, but you know, it, it does create a very messy situation for consumers. Uh, I wouldn't be pointing the finger at the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities because it's not really their job to work on prices. OK, well, the people whose job it is to work on prices, I suppose, are the energy companies yeah. themselves. And you did approach all the energy companies and you asked them, what are they doing? So what are consumers, Irish households, facing as we head into the darker days of autumn and winter? Well, actually, the interesting thing is that although I said that the Commission for Regulation of Utilities has nothing to do with pricing, I approached all of the providers and the CRU and the only one who would give any inkling of what might happen to prices was the CRU. And what they said was that given that wholesale prices have fallen dramatically over the last eight or nine months, they would expect to see falls in domestic prices within the next three months. So that's what the CRU have said. I went to the energy companies individually and none of them would give any real indication as to when they might move on prices. But there is a very, very real expectation that they will move within weeks. And that the way the industry in, in, in Ireland works is that when one company moves, they all move. And we don't just see that in energy, we see that in health insurance, we see that in the price of milk. Any time a company lowers the price, the others seek to cut off that competitive advantage by following suit. So what we need to see is we need to see one of the big providers. Now, we've seen one of the small providers reducing their prices, but we need to see one of the big, big providers announcing a price cut. And once that happens, the floodgates will open and then the prices will fall. Now, the reality is that people shouldn't be looking forward to going back to the way we were. That is not going to happen when it comes to energy prices. But if you say, OK, well, energy prices have doubled in the last uh, 18 months. So I was paying €2,000 for my electricity or I was paying €1,000 for my electricity and now I'm paying €2,000 for my electricity. I think the best we can hope for when it comes to electricity pricing in the weeks ahead is a fall of between maybe 10 and 20% tops. So if you do the maths on that, if you take 20% off 2000 you're left with 1600 we were paying a thousand. Now we're paying sixteen hundred. Mm. So we're still dramatically worse off as a result of uh, volatility on global markets. Okay. Well, you mentioned milk there. So can we move on to talk about grocery prices, food? I mean, you know, I always feel the real experts when it comes to food prices are people pushing trolleys around the supermarkets, because you know shoppers are really, really clued in to how much things have increased. But we do now have some research figures about the price of food. And, and that comes from Kantar. Yeah. So who, who are they and what do they find? Well, Kantar are the kind of the, the, the gold standard when it comes to the retail analyst sector. And every month they, they issue a, a pricing forecast. And 
their 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 model is different to the central statistics office who who release uh, inflation figures because they price thousands of products individually and then they say okay prices have gone up by x or down by y or whatever it might be and they also then rank the supermarkets to to say which supermarket has the largest market share and they will be able they can tell then who's buying what and whether or not barbecued sausages went up or down which is in fact they went down during July because it was such a washout <laughs> of, of a month mm. ice creams also went down but that's neither here nor there so they've been tracking prices for 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 as long as I can remember. And over the course of this year, we've seen prices climb up and up and up and up and up. So in May, I think the figure was around 16.5% inflation year on year. Now, that's a staggeringly high number when you consider the general rate of inflation was close to 6 or 7%. So grocery prices were being uh, disproportionately impacted by uh, higher input costs and by the cost of living crisis. Now, that meant that, as you say, Irish shoppers were being disproportionately impacted. When you look at the Irish household expenses, you might have the mortgage is the most expensive thing facing many households are rent. And after that, you'll have groceries. So it is a hugely expensive area. And with price increases of 16.5%, things were looking bad. However, in the last eight or 10 weeks, we've seen prices fall across the supermarkets. Now, Cantar in the most recent figures put inflation at less than 13%. Now, that sounds like it could be perceived as good news because 165 to 12.8% is a, a fairly significant fall in. But it's still a 12.8% year-on-year increase in food prices. And this comes despite the fact that a lot of the retailers have been boasting about, oh, we've lowered the cost of bread, we've lowered the cost of milk, we've lowered the cost of whatever it might be. The reality is grocery inflation is still climbing at a, at a rate of more than 12%. And that's very, very bad news for consumers. Now, as our consumer expert, you also, Cantar does its tracking of, of prices, but so do you. You have a shopping basket. I do. That, so that, that you track the price of that. And it's full of very ordinary things, very normal things that any household would buy. What have you been finding there? Well, I started doing this in April of 2020. And we just put a, we filled a virtual trolley of, you know, 30 products. And we said, okay, the 30 products cost around 78 euros uh, at that time. The same 30 products today are over 90 euros. And we've recorded a 20% increase on those 20 products or 30 products. And as as you say, they're they're normal things. You know, they're they're milk, they're bread, they're tins of beans. Um, and if you look down through them, I think only one of the products in the last uh, f- uh, set of figures that we published, which was last weekend, only one of the products has fallen in price and every single other product has gone up. And some of them have, some of them have gone up dramatically. Like there's, I think, a four pack of Heinz baked beans. And again, Heinz baked beans are a pretty standard product. You'll see it in most or many supermarket trolleys every single day of the week. They were 350 they They're now 550 Now that's a huge price jump for a, a, a staple. And critically, it's a staple that a lot of families who are struggling to get by will buy yeah. because it's something that you can rely on for your kids to eat and all that stuff and it's got high protein and whatever you might want to say. Um, those kinds of products have gone up in price. Milk, butter, bread, everything has gone up. Now, as, you, as I said, the retailers were all boasting about lowering the price of milk and indeed they have because the price of a two litre of, of milk has fallen by 10 cent or 20 cent. Um, but it's fallen back from a really high price and it's still not back at the level it was at in 2020. And it's never going to get back to that level. So this is a big question and this probably, it's probably, you know, the answer is as long as a piece of string. But what is driving up food prices? There's so many different factors at play here, Bernice. And I think that's the real problem because first off, you're looking at higher input costs. Now, some of those have eased slightly, but at the height of the crisis... And when you say input, what do you mean? I mean, the, the, the cost of the things that go into making the product. Mm-hmm. So you might be looking at oil or petrol or diesel. 
or you might be looking at uh, the cost of the commodities like wheat or coffee or chocolate or cocoa or whatever it might be or dairy products. Now, so all of the all of those input costs climbed at the start of the crisis and it was largely fueled by two things. It was fueled by the end of the pa- pandemic and a spike in, 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 in demand for products all over the world. And then, of course, it was fueled much more disastrously by uh, Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine and the, and the war there, which really impacted oil prices, gas prices and wheat and sunflower oil prices in particular because those two products are produced largely in Ukraine. So that caused a huge problem and it created jitters all over the global markets. That caused the spike in prices. And on top of that, you've seen higher wage costs. um, And that's also had a knock-on effect on the cost of these products. So and then you have supply chain issues. And those supply chain issues can be caused by multiple different factors. I mean, there, there, there were supply chain issues with products coming from China. There was supply chain issues with fruit and vegetables coming from southern Spain and northern Africa. So into the mix, you also have to add the consequences of climate change. And you have to add this incredibly unpredictable and volatile weather pattern that that is being recorded in all of these food producing countries all over the world. And then you have a scenario in somewhere like India, where the Indian government has had to dramatically restrict the exportation of rice products because of soaring prices in India. That then has a knock-on effect on all the countries around India, the poorest, some of the poorest countries in the world, because they can't get access to this absolute staple. And it also mm-hmm. sees the price of products rising on global markets. So you have a multiple of factors all coming together to put pressure on prices. That's why it, it, it is still now a desperately uncertain uh, time for people. Now, we're, of course, this tiny island off Europe. It's very expensive to get stuff here, all that. But how do our prices for food compare here with uh, the rest of Europe? Well, there's two ways of looking at at that. You can say, okay, well, if you want to shop in Portugal, if you want to shop in Spain or southern Italy, you can probably pick up your grocery shopping for a lot less. But that doesn't really look at the big picture and the fact that the minimum uh, the, the minimum wage here is much higher. You know, t- the, the tax regime is different. The social services are different. All of these different things. Um, but it, it, Ireland has actually fared surprisingly well when it comes to inflationary pressures because uh, in May or June of this year, the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission were asked to conduct an analysis of the retail sector here to answer the very simple question, are we being gouged by the supermarkets? And that's the suspicion that a lot of people have. Are we being ripped off by our supermarkets? And the CCPC actually said, no, we're not. The prices they charge are, are commensurate with the, product, with the costs that they're facing. And inflation in Ireland has running at around 15% for grocery. It's running around 30% in other countries in Europe. So you're seeing other countries in Europe who are facing absolutely savage price pressures. So people are having the same conversations in Europe as we're having here. 100%. Now, so that's with groceries. But then, of course, on the flip side of that, you see uh, energy prices are much cheaper in Europe than they are in uh, the the Republic of Ireland. So there's almost like swings and roundabouts. We're paying through the nose for certain things. We're not being as negatively impacted for other things. And the other thing that's important to remember is that we are a food-producing nation. So a lot of the stuff that we're producing is produced within this country and it's sold within this country. And the reason why it's going up is because of global commodity pricing. So, for instance, you might say, well, why is dairy? Why are dairy products going up in the Republic of Ireland, given that Irish farmers produce the milk that goes into the butter? So we're not affected by the war in mm. Ukraine. We're not affected by uh, the climate crisis in Southern Europe. And what's Europe the answer to that? Because everything is tied to global prices, global commodity prices. So dairy prices are set by global markets and if they go up all over the world, they go up in this part of the world too, despite the fact that we actually produce a lot of it. Coming up, 
Connor Pope explains why now is not a good time to be borrowing or saving. Money, the cost of money, and it's becoming a political hot potato here now Mm. because borrowers are having a terrible time and savers are having a terrible time. So what's happening there? Well, as you probably know, and all the listeners will know, the European Central Bank has been charged with bringing inflation down to this magic number of 2%. It's currently running at a multiple of three or four times that. Um, So that was the big challenge for them. And what they've done is they've rolled out nine successive interest rate uh, hikes. Um, The people, the the borrowers who have been most instantly impacted by that are people who who have tracker mortgages in this country. And you're talking about tens of thousands of people who have tracker mortgages. And they've seen their mortgages go up uh, by, you know, from sometimes 1% to in excess of 5%. Now, that's a huge jump. And in terms of cash, you might see somebody who had a typical mortgage of €200,000 who might have been paying uh, €1,100 a month is suddenly paying €1,550 a month. Uh, And there's no real sign that that's coming to an end. But the conversation tends to have focused around tracker mortgage holders because they're instantly impacted. But it's not just tracker tracker holders who are affected. An awful lot of people who took out mortgages over the last three years uh, will have fixed their mortgage at a, at a certain rate. So if you took out a mortgage in 2020 or if you took out a mortgage in 2020, uh, 2019 and you fixed it for three years or four years or five years, you're so- suddenly now looking at a scenario where you fixed it at maybe two and a half, three percent. You're coming out of uh, uh, that, 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 that lower rate in the very near future and you might be faced with a rate of 5%. So that's a real cliff edge. It's really going to impact an awful lot of people and an awful lot of the people who it's going to impact are people who, who will have borrowed up to 90% of, of, of the value of their property so they're going to be very badly hit. And then of course there's the, the variable rate holders who actually haven't been that badly hit yet because the the, the, the banks have, have resisted passing on many of the interest rate uh, uh, hikes to variable rate holders and they've done that not out of the goodness of their hearts. They've done that because it means they can also resist passing on higher interest rates to savers because the reality is Irish people have uh, more than 130 billion euro on deposit across all the Irish banks and they are being absolutely gouged by the low rates of interest that the financial institutions are offering. Because bear in mind, if you want to think about it, if if you have money on deposit in Ireland and you're getting a rate of 0.5% or 0.7% or 1%, on, on, 1% on, would be good, I think, now. 1% would be good. Your ba- You can deposit all your money in your bank, who can then deposit your money in a bank in Europe and get 3%. So they're making all of this cash out of your money and they're not giving you anything back. And this rate of 1% comes on the back of uh, uh, inflationary pressures, which are 6%. So let's say if, you, if you're fortunate enough to have 10 grand on deposit, you, you're getting 1% return, but you're losing 6% of it every year as a result of the inflation pressures that the, the country is facing. So it really is a bad time to be a saver in this country. It's becoming a political issue, I think. Do you think there's any will for other countries have, you know, put the lean on the banks to do something? Is, do you get a sense that that's happening here? I think the government is very reluctant to get involved in in, the, in what the banks do on, a, on an individual basis. Um, and sometimes that's very much to our cost because the government had a very hands-off approach back in 2004, 2005, 2006. And we all know that when the banking collapse happened, we were the ones who ended up picking up the tab. Having said that, they, they, they can't really say you need to do X, Y and Z. Now, what the Minister for Finance, Michael McGrath or Pascal Donoghue or Leo Varadkar or Michal Martin or anybody else can do is they can put pressure on them and they can say, we need to see more movement on that. 
And that is probably what you're going to see. You're going to see interest rates for, for people who have money on deposit inch up. But I think the real financial pain will be felt by the people who are borrowing. And as I say, it's not just the tracker holders. It's going to be everybody who doesn't have a fixed rate stretching out for more, for more than five years. Okay, well, now that we have depressed everybody a little, let's try to think of solutions. You give advice all the time in your articles in the paper. So let's go through those three areas. Okay. Food. What can people do? Now, you see, the thing about this is that when we talk about food, I can so, I sometimes feel, you know, in general, the advice can be a bit glib. Oh, you know, shop around, own brand, German supermarkets. People are doing that already. 100%. And I think you're absolutely right to use the word glib because that whole, oh, shop, shop around and, and you'll make great savings. Anybody who's put to the pin of their collar is already doing all of that stuff, right? Um, so it's a real problem and there is very little of that you can do. Uh, like obviously you can what, what we've seen is we've seen a massive shift towards own brand and not just the German discounters but we've seen a massive shift towards own brand within you know the, the, the super value Duns and Tesco as well um, and, and that, there's been growth in, in that area double digit growth over recent months another area where people could probably be slightly more mindful is food waste because we still throw out a significant portion of the food that we buy across the board like when you think about it the Irish the typical Irish shopper, typical Irish household, throws away anywhere between 20 and 30% of the food they buy. Oh, huge. So there are things that you could do on that score to try and reduce your spending. But I have to stress that the people who are really feeling the pain are almost all, almost certainly doing that already. So what you can do then is we ju- you just have to, you know, shop in a more lean uh, way, buy more own brand, uh, make the food that you buy go further. And you just have to hope that at some point prices will start to fall. But the thing is, when you speak to people who are who are in this space, as I say, we're recording uh, inflation of 13% now. That's good compared to 16.5%. Even if we get to, a, to where all retail analysts think we'll be, we're, we're going to be recording inflation of around 3% a year. Now, that's 3% on top of the price hikes that we've already seen. So I think one of the things that um, we're not going to see again is the era of low food prices that we saw from 2010 to 2020. And there's that old phrase that, you know, you, I, I wish I knew what the good old days were when I was in them because we didn't realise that we were living through this era of cheap food. But we were, and I think we're just going to have to recalibrate our expectations into the future as, uh, when it comes to how much we spend on that kind of stuff. OK, energy. Now, I know a big thing, and certainly a few years ago, you were saying shop around, shop around, there's discount to be to be had there's deals to be had if you shop around for provider now I have to say in all my years I have literally never changed oh provider God, Bernice, I know that's really Bernice, bad Bernice. I know I know I know and because you know why inertia and it seems like an awful lot of hassle and I know you you have explained many 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 times that it's no hassle at all None. but I think consumers and inertia go hand in hand but anyway energy what can people do now facing into the the winter well, because it's one thing actually that that drives me crazy and that's the standing charges. So no matter how, you know, how many lights you turn off and all that, you still have to pay quite a substantial standing charge and there's no sign of that changing. But in terms of the percentage of your overall bill, it's quite small to be fair to it. And in terms of the inertia, I mean, I, I can say Bernice, 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 but you're one of 70%. I mean, a very, very high percentage of people never swapped around. This is despite the fact that I became quite the viral sensation when I went on the Late Late Show and explained to people how much money that they could save. Because back in 2021, you could have saved around 40% off your energy bill by switching from company A to company B. And the way that works is very simple. Everybody pays a standard unit rate for their electricity. And right now that might be 48 cents or something like that for each unit of energy used. 
in the good old days that we've left behind now, for the first year that you moved to a new company, you would have been offered a discount of anywhere between 20 and 40%, which would have made a massive dent in your bills. Um, and then after a year, you go back up to the standard rate. So the trick was always to keep changing, to keep swapping, uh, to keep shopping around. So every year, move to a different company and you'd be knocking the 10, 20, 30, 40% off your bill. Since the start of the energy crisis, one of the things that the companies all of the companies did was they started slashing the discounts that were available to people. So we reported on it uh, about 12 months ago that the discounts of 40% that were available suddenly became 20%, then they became 10%. And now you'd be lucky to get a saving of 5% by swapping from company A to company B. And I'm afraid that's not going to do your lethargy or uh, Mm. uh, consumer uh, apathy levels any good at all. But there is still that saving to be made by people. And if you're with company A and you're paying the top standard rate and you can move to company B uh, and you can knock 5% off your energy bills, that's a saving of, what, 200 quid, 300 quid a year maybe that you could... Th- so it's not inconsequential. So those savings are still there, you're saying. They're People smaller, should still make that smaller. phone call, and even, no matter how small it is. And do you know what? It's not even about making a phone call. I managed to switch my, co- my provider 18 months ago by going online to one of two switching sites, bonkers.ie or switcher.ie. It doesn't really matter t- from a consumer perspective which. I gave them all my details, I hit a button, and then I was switched didn't take any any effort on my part. And the thing about switching energy provider is that it's not like switching cornflake provider because there's a difference in quality between cornflakes A and cornflakes B. We all know that. If you switch from a one well-known brand of cola to a lesser-known <laughs> brand of cola, you're going to notice the difference. Yeah. You're never, ever going to notice the difference if you switch from an energy provider uh, in one part of the city or country to another energy provider. It's the same energy. It's the same gas. It's the same electricity. So the savings are there. And then in terms of what else we can hope for, is you have to hope for more pressure to be put on the providers to lower their prices. And I think there is a reasonable expectation that the government will step up again and offer offer energy credits to people as we head into the winter. And there's a very simple reason for that, Bernice. It's because the government is awash with money. It has all this money that it doesn't know what to do with because it's getting all of these corporate tax receipts in. And what it doesn't want to do is it doesn't want to engage in any long-term spending that then becomes embedded in the budget. So this is a way a government heading into an election cycle can say, here you go, here's Here's 200 quid, here's 400 Mm. quid off your electricity bills. And I would be gobsmacked if we didn't see that happen uh, in the budget. So money, what can you do? What can you do if you're you're paying too much for your mortgage? What can you do if you're not earning uh, any interest on your savings? Well, if you're paying too much for your mortgage, I would urge people to develop some kind of time machine and go back to the summer <laughs> of 2021 because in the summer of 2021, you could have locked into a fixed rate mortgage at 1.9% for 10 Ooh, years. Wow. And, any, and I've spoken to people who've done that and they have made big savings. They have made really substantial savings. If you don't have the time machine, and let's be honest, you don't, uh, the other thing that you can do is you you could need to look at the numbers because it's not a real black and white thing. I can't say to every single tracker holder, what you need to do now is get off your tracker and switch to a a fixed rate at X, Y or Z. Because for some people it'll work, for some people it won't work. Uh, I think the key thing is, the question you need to ask yourself is, how long do you have left on your mortgage? So if you've got, let, let's say, I think the longest you might have is you, you probably could have taken out a tracker in 2006, 2007. So, you know, if you took out a 30-year mortgage in 2006 or 2007, you might have 13 or 14 years left on it. That's a long old time. Mm. A lot could happen to your interest rates 
over the next 13 years, they could go up, they could go down, they could keep going down. Somebody like that might want to think long and hard about what they do because you could lock into a fixed rate now and you'd end up being in, being in that rate in perpetuity. Um, but if you've got three or four or five years left on your tracker and you're paying 5.2% or 5.5% now and you can get a fixed rate at 3.9% for five years or whatever it might be, well, then it might be worth considering. But I would really stress, and I can't stress this enough, and I stress this all the time, I am not a financial advisor. And I think anybody who's going to make those big decisions needs to talk to somebody who is a qualified financial advisor and get the best advice. But the reality is that for some people, by switching from one mortgage product to another mortgage product, they will be able to save money. And because it's one of the biggest expenses that people have, some of them will be able to save a lot of money. And for savers? Well, there's options out there. You can use, there's a a, a, a company called Raisin, and that allows you to deposit your money in countries outside. That's an internet bank. It, it is an, a fintech. And they will allow you to deposit your money uh, in other jurisdictions. So that's an option for people. Um, because if you had a lot of money on deposit, uh, you could put it into a bank in Germany or France or wherever it might be. And that's a relatively easy easy step. But for a lot of people, they're not going to do that. Because a lot of people for good or ill, don't trust companies they've never heard of. Um, so then what you could consider, you could consider locking savings into, uh, you know, a fixed government bond of five years or three years or 10 years or whatever it might be and you get a higher rate of return, you can't access your money and you don't pay deposit interest, you don't pay dirt tax. So there, there are things that people could do but the worst thing you can do is probably leave your money sitting in a current account where it's earning zero zero interest and is, is in fact losing a, a significant percentage due to inflation every single year. But uh, the, again, like with so many things, savers are at the mercy of the banks. And when we talk about people having being reluctant to shift energy provider or cornflake provider, people are even more reluctant to change the banks. So as a result, we have to uh, re- put more pressure on them on a political level to try and get them to do the right thing when it comes to interest rates. And of course, we don't have much competition in the banks here anymore. We have less competition we, than we did, that's for sure, because uh, uh, Ulster Bank uh, left the market and, and KBC, and KBC or... left the market. And when there's a diminishing level of competition, that's bad news for consumers. And I think that's where we are at the moment. So consumers are p- feeling the pinch uh, across a whole load of sectors. Presumably now the politicians are very alert to that. The budget is only weeks away now. I mean, we're, we're looking at September now and budget's October. Do you think the government has is going to implement measures that are going to make a difference? I think the government is very acutely aware of the timing of this budget and the fact that an election is looming. And the government is also acutely aware of the popularity of Sinn Féin. And I think the government w- will probably do whatever it can to maintain a sense of fiscal responsibility while also offering a giveaway budget. While opening the checkbook, yeah. Okay, Connor, thanks very much. That's it for today. For more of Connor Pope's coverage of the cost of living crisis, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by John Casey and Suzanne Brennan. In the news, we'll be back on Wednesday.